welcome, friend, to the sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church. Union Congregational is a caring community connected through God, loving and serving all along life's journey. At Union, we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone, that no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, God's grace is for you. So wherever this message finds you, I hope you will hear in it the living word and be blessed. The first scripture reading comes from Zechariah 7, verses 8 through 14. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow, the orphan, the alien, or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. But they refused to listen, and turned a stubborn shoulder, and stopped their ears in order not to hear. They made their hearts adamant in order not to hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Just as when I called, they would not hear. So when they called, I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and a pleasant land was made desolate. May God add a blessing to the hearing of this word. Our gospel reading this morning comes to us from the gospel according to Mark in the 12th chapter, verses 38 through 44. Let's continue to listen for God's word for us here today. As Jesus was teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for the sake of appearance, they say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Then he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into it. Many rich people came and put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny, Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Has anyone here seen a show on HBO called The Righteous Gemstones? Probably for the best. (laughs) 
This is a show about the fictional family of televangelists, the gemstones, and the megachurch that they run. Uh, they have vast wealth uh, that they have achieved through this enterprise. They hold their services in a 17,000-seat arena that has an espresso bar called Holy Grounds, naturally. <laughs> at one point, they show the inside of the vault at this church, which holds collections of between a million and three million dollars each Sunday. The gemstones themselves live on a compound uh, of mansions. Not a mansion, mansions, as well as uh, their own roller coaster park, in addition to the fleet of luxury vehicles that they drive around in, they also have access to not one, but three private jets, aptly named the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the opening scenes of the first episode of the series, we see Eli Gemstone, who is the head of the family and the senior pastor, along with his two sons, Jesse and Kelvin. Uh, they're performing what they're calling a marathon 24-hour baptism in a wave pool somewhere in China. Uh, there are these long lines of people dressed in white robes who are coming forward to be dipped in and baptized. And as they're dipping each person, Jesse, the elder brother, keeps bragging about his technique and, and telling his younger brother what to do. And they begin bickering with one another in this profanity-laced exchange, all while they are dunking people taking a pause every once in a while, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ, dunk. I baptize you. Eventually, the father steps in to intervene and to tell him to knock it off, and then the wave pool turns on. Anyway, it's a striking scene that really captures the whole show just in a few moments and really captures the message of it, namely the vast delta between the public-facing holiness of these televangelists, the righteous gemstones, and the decadence and sordidness and just sleaziness of these people in private. And of course, this is on HBO, so there's plenty of cussing and violence and nudity in the show, but I think what is most repugnant is just the ludicrous wealth that these gemstones hoard for themselves and the elaborate and ruthless lengths that they go to to preserve and secure and increase that wealth. This is, of course, a work of satire. It's after the style of Sinclair Lewis's novel Elmer Gantry, which was later turned into a movie, which is about a con man who poses as a revivalist preacher to, to get money from people. And of course, like all works of satire, it is ridiculous, but its ridiculousness is rooted in reality, that people do indeed use the good news of Jesus Christ as means to their own ends. And that piety, whether it is genuine or merely for the sake of appearance, can, can be a great way to make a lot of money for some. A lot of the so-called megachurches today cultivate this kind of opulent, celebrity-driven culture and fund lavish lifestyles for their leaders. There's even this Instagram account. It's called Preachers in Sneakers. And it's full of pictures of celebrity pastors and, and zooming in on various items of clothing they're wearing, particularly uh, really, really expensive sneakers, like $1,000 sneakers. And if you scroll through this feed, you'll see 
$500 t-shirts and $4,000 sport coats that aren't really even that attractive, but they're just, it's incredible to see people who are ostensibly preaching the word of God wearing this opulent wealth. It's really strange to believe that the word of God preached in the name of Jesus Christ, who walked the earth in secondhand sandals and lived on borrowed meals, that that word is being proclaimed by these pastors in these mega churches. And so of such pastors and such churches, it is very easy to point the finger and say, beware of those. Beware of those scribes. Beware the pastor in the custom-made Italian suit with the 100-watt smile. And beware the pastor whose face is plastered on billboards, who devours up money from seniors who watch them on TV and send in their donations by check. Indeed, as Jesus says, theirs is the greater condemnation. These are our modern-day scribes, these modern-day hypocrites, this brood of gold-leafed, Nike-sneakered vipers. And yet, before we all get too comfortable resting on our own righteous gemstones, I am mindful that Jesus teaches us not to judge, lest we be judged. Because I'll be honest, verse 38 of Mark 12 is one of those uh, verses that feels like it's a little personal for me. Beware the ones who like to walk around in long robes, who like to be greeted in the marketplace. (laughs) You know, I may not spend that much money on my sneakers, but I am not without some pride in the marks of my profession I like to wear my clericals when I go out and visit people so people know that I am a person of faith. I like to be greeted. It tickles me to no end uh, when Ken Sandal comes into the church in the morning and says, Morning, Reverend. <laughs> love that. I love that. Of course, this doesn't just apply to pastors. I think a lot of people like to show out the success of what they do. I think of the bumper sticker that says, if you can read this, thank a teacher. You know who's driving that car. <laughs> or the person who wears their company jacket wherever they go, they go, not just because it was free, but also because they can say, you know, this is where I work, this is what I do. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong in taking pride in what you do, if you do good at it. But Jesus here calls us to recalibrate our expectations and our perceptions of what success really means, what it means to be successful. The law of God is fairly clear on this point. In Proverbs, in Deuteronomy, all throughout the books of the prophets, it says whatever wealth or glory you may come into, it has to come by honest dealing. It can't be some con game. It can't take advantage, especially of the poor or the marginalized in society. It's all very clear, and yet, and yet, our gospel story today takes place in the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem where Jesus was speaking, which was not unlike the prayer center of the righteous gemstones. 
It was this exploitative institution that had been built up and up and up, this site of religious devotion for the people of Israel that was almost tailor-made to separate them from their money. King Herod, the one from before Jesus was born, in the years leading up to Jesus' birth, had actually expanded the Temple Mount. It had been a relatively modest structure, but when he came into power with the blessing of the Roman Empire, he, he used the wealth and the taxes that he was collecting under their authority to expand the Temple, to build it up, to build it out. In fact, the Temple quite literally devoured the homes of the people surrounding the complex as it grew bigger. But Jesus obviously, is having none of this. Even as he stands in the midst of the temple, even as these scribes in their long robes are walking by, he is not afraid to call them out, to call them out for their clothing, to call them out for their desire for a celebrity treatment, to call them out for their long prayers that are simply for the sake of appearances. Indeed, he says, echoing the prophet Zechariah, theirs is the greater condemnation. When people's hearts have hardened against the word and the will of God, when they refuse to abide by the most basic injunctions to care and show kindness to the marginalized in society, the prophet says, when the people forget the refugee, the foreigner, the widow, the orphan, well, theirs is the greater condemnation. God foretells in that prophecy in Zechariah that the people will be scattered and a once pleasant land where people go to and fro will become a desolate place. And so again, in Mark 13, when Jesus' disciples say, hey, Jesus, look at these temple buildings. They are magnificent. What does Jesus say to them? Not one of these stones will remain on another. It's all coming down. And he was right. It would. It would some 40 years later at the hands of the Roman Empire and at the hands of this corrupt institution. But surely that has nothing to do with our little church, right? Right? But then I look around and I hear those words of the prophet ringing in my ears, a pleasant land was made desolate. I hear those words as they echo off empty pews and in silent Sunday school rooms. And I hear those words echoed in the Longing in those conversations about what the church used to be. We hope it will be again, but it doesn't feel like it is anymore. Now that people have just kind of faded away, they've been scattered. And maybe, probably, they're not coming back. They're not coming back. That's the, uh, the title of a blog that was written by the Reverend Rob Dyer about a year ago. Uh, he writes that we used to tell ourselves this story about young adults who stopped going to church. We said, they'll come back when they get married. They'll come back. They'll want to come back to the church then. But then when that didn't happen, we, we moved the goalpost and we started telling a new story. Well, the young adults, they'll come back when they have children, right? They'll come back. They want to get them baptized. They'll want them to go to Sunday school, right? And that's true. We see some of that. We see those young parents come in with their children and they, we get to see those beautiful babies get baptized and then we never see them again. 
And so again, we, we retell the story. We say, well, maybe once their, their kids are teenagers and they'll need some direction because, you know, teenagers. Uh, and so we should have youth programs, things to really get the kids engaged. And then they'll bring the parents along with them. And maybe that worked for a little while. And then after that, you know, folks said, let's give them some music. Maybe it sounds more like what's on the radio. None of this handle stuff. <laughs> maybe we'll give them a coffee hour that's more like Starbucks than like a church potluck. Maybe, maybe then people will come. But then the churches that were already struggling, they couldn't do some of that stuff. And even the ones that were doing it, even the ones that tried those things, saw their programs shrink and saw their volunteers grow weary. And then the pandemic came and there was chaos and the, and the sanctuary was literally empty. It was literally empty. And we, we transitioned into these virtual spaces and we rejoiced a little bit because there were people joining via live stream. We were seeing the numbers. And then slowly but surely the online attendance began to wane. The engagement started to go on as things started to open up, people went back to their very busy lives. Except now, in addition to having very busy lives they had before, now they have the burden of this pandemic weighing down on them as well. And maybe we thought that if we just had worship in person, then the people would come back, but they're not coming back. And so uh, Rob Dyer concludes that the church is realizing something, not just about young adults, but about people of all ages in our churches. The super volunteers who used to carry 20 positions in the church, they're tired. They only want to do a few things. The regular attendees are becoming semi-regular. And the folks who are on the fringes, they are fading away. And maybe, probably, they're not coming back. A once pleasant land has become a desolate place. And we wonder and we ask and we pray, why? It's a hard question to answer. And I don't think because there isn't an answer. It's because the answer is a hard answer. And I think nothing helps us see that answer more than this scripture this morning. Jesus sits down opposite the treasury in the temple, and he's watching. He's watching the righteous and the wealthy come and put their money in. He's watching the good church-going folk going about their business, giving their 10% of their time, their talent, and their treasure to God. But it's only when he sees this widow come forward that Jesus calls out to his disciples. He says, hey, come over here. Come over here. Look at this. Look at this. He says, he says, he doesn't say, look at all these good church-going people. See them paying their tithes? Isn't that great? doesn't say that. He says, look at this widow. Don't focus on the flashy people in this grand temple. That's not what you need to see, Jesus says. Today, friends, followers of Christ, Jesus is calling us to see a widow devoting her last two coins to God. The disciples must have been confused by this. 
They were usually confused, but this must have been especially confusing. Why was it that the widow's donation was so noteworthy? Well, first of all, I think it's noteworthy that she is a widow. Normally, in the Bible, we lump widows and orphans and refugees all together. It's a code word for marginalized people, the other for whom the covenant law makes explicit mention. God cares about these marginalized people, we say. Scripture tells us, and it's especially egregious when we ignore them. So Jesus wants us to see people at the margins. But I think that's not just what's important about this particular person. This is a widow. And a widow is a widow because she has lost something. She has lost someone she loves. She has lost her husband. She's experienced death, grief, pain, trauma, heartache. To be a widow is to be broken in some ways. It's all we know about her. We don't know anything about her except this one fact, that she has known loss. She has known pain. And here she comes, giving her fullest devotion, her whole Life, all that she has, it says, giving it over to God. And so perhaps what has gone wrong in the church today is that we do not make enough space for that kind of person. The person who is broken. The person who doesn't trust church because they have been hurt by a church in the past. The person who doesn't trust God because they don't feel like God is real to them the person who, who doesn't have that connection, who has, who has experienced this pandemic just like the rest of us, who has experienced great loss. And perhaps it's because we have lost sight somewhere along the way of what it means for us to bring our whole lives and give them over to Christ. I don't think the takeaway from this passage is that we should go and throw everything we have into that collection plate until it overflows. I can imagine the disciples turning to Jesus after he has pointed out this widow and saying, Lord, should we go and do likewise? What do you think Jesus would have said? Do you think he would have encouraged them to go and put all their money into the collection boxes? The collection boxes, remember, that are for this corrupt temple that is devouring widows' houses. I don't think that's what he wanted us to focus on. In fact, this passage has often been misused by precisely those kind of folks like the righteous gemstones to to take as much as they can from people who don't have much to give. They say, put it all in the plate and it will be returned to you. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus never said, if you put everything you have into that plate, it will be returned to you tenfold. Jesus did not promise us wealth. Jesus didn't even promise us God's blessing on our life. The only thing Jesus ever promises us is that he will be with us. Is that the kingdom of God is drawing near. That God's will for each and every one of us is a real thing. And it is really here for us to have. And so Jesus doesn't focus on what the widow does He wants to call attention to what is in her heart, her intention, her spirit, this spirit of someone who is wounded 
and yet still has enough grace and enough courage and enough faith to give back. Last week, we heard Jesus teach that the kingdom of God is like a little child, that it is powerless by the lights of the world, but is full of possibility and life. And I feel like I'm starting to become a bit of a broken record on this point, but this week we learned that the kingdom of God is like a widow. It is powerless and on the margins of society, but this widow right, shows us the possibility of devoting our whole lives to Christ and what that looks like. The kingdom of God is like a widow giving all that she has, a wounded healer offering up their very selves for the forgiveness of others. You see, God's vision for us does not shy away from our brokenness. It does not shy away from trauma or pain or loss or grief. It invites us to bring it forward and to offer it up and to see how that when we humble ourselves, that is what makes our lives rich. The Reverend Rob Dyer, the one who who hit us with that brutally honest phrase, they're not coming back earlier, he concludes that the post-pandemic church must be a place where the traumatized and the grieving can find a space of belonging. Because we should make no mistake, the pandemic is a trauma. It is a great collective grief. We have all lost something. Even if we haven't lost people to death or to disease, we have lost many things over the last two years. All of that loss has set a lot of people adrift in the world right now. It's, it's no wonder that suicides and substance abuse and, and crime are all on the upswing because we live in this fearful space after a great loss. Wandering around, wondering what to do. And Jesus, Jesus points us back. Jesus roots us down. Jesus calls us together to say, see, come and see the kingdom. If the church is going to be a place, a place of collective belonging for the traumatized and the grieving, it cannot be more concerned with success in the spirit of our culture than it is with genuine hospitality. The church can't be wedded to the old ways of doing things because the world has changed, just as Jesus says the world has changed. And if the church cannot acknowledge that sometimes we have been part of the problem, then we have been the ones getting in the way of the one thing we really have to offer, Jesus Christ. If we can't acknowledge that, then then we'll just keep on putting those ties in the plates, but the kingdom of God will not, will not be there. See, underneath all of the lovely music and the artful sermons, underneath the Sunday mornings and the weekday evenings, underneath the committees and the coffee hours and the building and the long robes and the long prayers, underneath all of that, if we are about what we say we are about, is Jesus Christ. God's only son, who was born into this world to save each and every one of us, to draw near to each and every one of us, and to give us life, not in some future, now, because God has already accomplished these things for us. God has already 
sent a humble Savior to give everything, his whole life poured out for us so that we may be saved from sorrow. To the extent that we are obscuring that truth, we are like those people in the long robes and we stand in the way. But when we humble ourselves, no matter what we are wearing, when we humble ourselves and acknowledge the hurt and the pain that surrounds us and the glory of Christ that is available to us, then, then we may be onto something. If you strip it all away, Jesus says, all that we have to live on, our only comfort in life and in death is this, that we belong to Jesus Christ. Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. If you're in the area, we would love to welcome you in person for worship on Sundays at 10.15 a.m. in our sanctuary on Rhodes Avenue next to Bird Park. You can also join us virtually online via live stream at facebook.com slash churchbythepark. For more information about our church or to make a donation in support of our ministries, please visit our website, churchbythepark.org. Now may the grace and peace of Jesus Christ be in abide with you.